This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, it's me and my only friends, which includes and is not limited to my boy Hunt. What's poppin', Hunt? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm chilling, baby. I'm chilling. Good. You know, just another day in the life. I didn't think we were getting you today. We we got a surprise visit from. Uh, you know, I, I show up sometimes. He likes to keep keep us like uh, on a hook. You know. I yeah, keep, we, I gotta keep my sidekick on his yeah. toes. Keep I make us, his life too easy. Keep us wanting more, right? Yeah. yeah. Can't have you here every day. You gotta miss some. So right. Let's pop and sidekick. How you feeling today? We have a company meeting after this show. <laughs> huh? We have a company meeting after this show. We do. A lot to discuss. I won't be there. Your contract's on the table. <laughs> I won't be there. <laughs> Man, I'm just excited to eat. Shocker. Uh, I, for one, am surprised. <laughs> yep. Hungry. Are we, are we going food. to the Greek place? Is that the plan? We are going We're to the Greek place. Okay. I'm yeah. indifferent. I thought you liked Greek food. Did you say you like Greek food? I don't think you like. He'll food, tolerate it. I hate Greek food. I like Mediterranean Greek food. Is disgusting. Food. That's what it is. It's Mediterranean. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, tolerable. I like meat. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a lot of meat. There's a lot of meat on a stick there. Yeah, Greek Those, food has yeah. no spice. You, yeah, have, like you have no spice. Whatever. It's not the food doesn't have spice. This is it's actually the people really that good. spice the food that don't put yeah. spice on it. Well, yeah, we're well, talking about Greek food. Definitely has. Spice. You mean like hot, like hot yeah, spice? Yeah, everything's bland. Kind of like it's mm, dry. It's not. I gotta, I gotta respectfully yeah, disagree. So. All right, what's spicy? That's in. Not, we're not talking about spice. We're talking about flavor. Those are two different things. I never said true. anything about flavor. I said spice. You said bland. It's. Bland mm. is I'm talking no about spice. Ah, you got him. Got no, him there. I'm talking about spice-wise. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. We got him. I'm got talking him. about spice, <laughs> and it's blah. As in, it's just not hot? Like, it doesn't have, like, Frank's red hot sauce on it for you? Like, it doesn't have jalapenos, and, like, that just makes it bad? Yeah, it's just nothing. I don't like non-spicy food, really. Uh, yellowtail collar doesn't have spice. Yeah. That's good. Oh. Fish is a different oh, story. Oh, shit. Fish mm -hmm. is good. Fish is so good. Yep. This is what happens when you just make shit up on the, on right. the fly. Yeah. I don't make up anything. It's very easy to debunk. I literally eat nothing without <laughs> spice other than fish. Yeah. I would have you never. You can get fish there. They have fish I, there. I would have never guessed Conrad ate anything with spice, to be quite honest. Why? <clears throat> I, I didn't think you ate hot food. I just see you eating Chinese food all the time. Oh, Chinese I, food I is do hot. Love... A lot of hot Chinese food. Could be. I mean, he eats yeah. ramen. I get egg drop mm -hmm. soup. I don't even get ramen. Yeah. What I just your... get egg drop soup and put in, um, uh, white rice in it. What are your it, thoughts so, yeah. on uh, sriracha sauce? Uh, I'm not too big of a fan. What? Mm. Yeah, I really don't care. Don't look at me. I don't like anything hot. I know. I, you, <laughs> we know that. Ketchup's about as spicy as I can get. <laughs> I really don't 57. care. That's spicy That's ketchup. Right. They do no, make spicy no, ketchup. No, no, Get that shit out of my... Yeah. I don't even want it in when my sight. When I said sight. that spicy ketchup, I meant like ketchup. That's... Wow. This I didn't is, mean actual spicy ketchup. I like jalapeno-based right, right, right. spice, kind of. Like I'm a, everything... Yeah, you... You I'm a like I remember when, like when you when you Have first you came in you really used to you used to make uh, like lunch truffle. all the time. What happened to that? I just made but, I but made, everything had jalapenos in it. I made uh, it was really good. I made a breakfast tacos this yeah, morning. Oh, yeah. It was ground beef, mm -hmm. um, four jalapenos in one pound. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was it's a red jalapeno. It was good. That was a taco. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was Scout's vomit. Oh, on yeah. the, it was so on yummy. The carpet. Yeah. <laughs> so yummy. Damn. Fired. Conrad's cooking. My cooking is the best. I make the best type of shit. It's all spicy, but, you know. 
Berkey just doesn't eat anything. Yeah. Man, this is reminding me that on the podcast, you talked about the story where you went to a fine dining restaurant and said, I want my Heinz 57. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. It's pretty based, actually. I want it. It's a flex. Yeah, you want it. You got it. We don't serve ketchup at a Michelin star restaurant. Yeah. Well, don't serve fish and chips. Yeah. Assholes. Don't serve anything, actually. They did have fish and chips, which is funny. It's like, we yeah. don't serve ketchup, but we do serve fish and chips. Well, because yeah. they just so, have the. You know what you shouldn't mm-hmm. serve? French fries. Well, I don't know. Over in uh, over in uh, England, I don't think they put ketchup on fish and chips. Mayonnaise, Prob- probably. Uh, probably. Yeah, ketchup not. is pretty common Hated? on fish and uh, chips. Yeah. yeah, but that's because the chef recommended tartar sauce for you. I don't give a shit what he recommended. He ain't me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I want Heinz 57. I eat what I eat. Yeah. I eat what I eat. It's kind of, it's a very, like, uppity to be like, you can't eat this with this food. You can only have this sauce. Well, it, are you serious right now? It is. It is pretty common in like high scale restaurants. Like if you ask yeah. for, I often ask for like salt whenever I get a steak, and there are a lot of chefs that will get offended by that. I would get offended. I get offended every time you put salt on my brisket. I'm like, I put so much goddamn seasoning and salt like, on that not, shit. But it's not about you. It, it just, isn't about me. It, it is what whatever <laughs> makes it you know better. Like for the you. point of I a chef is to enjoy. like make food that like other people will enjoy. Well, right? It also mm-hmm. implies that everybody's palate tolerance is the same for whatever seasoning you're discussing is is generalized. Yeah. Your, yours is through the roof. Like, you can never have too much salt. I'm a no, salt fiend. Not like, but, yeah. That's not true. I know exactly what it tastes like to have too much salt. It's disgusting. One time, I can only imagine uh, what that would be. Oh, my God. <laughs> It'd be like a mound of salt on top of your steak. One, no, this happened to me, actually, once. Just I was in Nothing a, like exaggerating. I was in LA, and like I got, a, I got a fish, and I didn't realize the salt shaker was one where you like just did the normal movement instead of like the twist, <laughs> and I twisted, and it just went... Psh- and the whole thing just went on the fish. And I, I tried because you no know, saving it. You know what I mean? I tried to save it. Yeah, there's no saving. I tried it. to like smush scrape it. it off I tried to scrape it and like yeah. move, like mix it. And like I just took a bite and I was like, nope. "It's fine. I'll take a box and figure it out later." And sometimes like, she's for the streets, bro. You can't save her. You know? Yeah. Sometimes you just they, gotta let her go. Gotta belong. <laughs> move along. Move along, move along. It's gonna be another the singing. What the fuck are you guys up. singing? All American Rejects, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of hoping it's gone. Move along, move along. Me and Hunter like. I mean, I know this song, but I'm not gonna sing it in public. <laughs> what do you mean? Why not? We're having fun here. It's a fun show. You haven't heard me sing. It's I'm not, not gonna public. Sing. It's YouTube. Wait, is it really good or really bad? What the, what what the singing? Bad, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't want to flex their talents. If I if I could sing, I would be doing it. Could you imagine yeah. if he's like, all right, all right, I'll sing a little bit. And he just like belts this like opera right. voice, the opera no. voice of "Move Along" yeah. by All American I'm a, I'm Rejects. A fucking terrible singer. Yeah. That, that, we uh, all are. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's but what in makes unison, it fun. Yeah, in unison, <laughs> we become one right. voice. Of Everyone together. <laughs> mediocrity. Right. Yeah, but then we uniformly embarrass ourselves. There's, and, there's as power stands, me and Conrad. Have, eh, you know, there's power in numbers, you know. From that. Mm. First of all, I know what fucking song you guys are singing. Yes, Second you do. All, that's okay. You know all American rejects for sure. No, I don't. That's okay. You're okay. you're allowed to know. Uncultured. Mm-hmm. Uncultured. Uncultured. <laughs> no. To be fair, uncultured. I don't know what the hell. That was you don't either. know all American rejects. No, yes, you, do. Sorry, you no, had to be a reject to listen. Like to I'll <laughs> keep you my dirty little secret. Oh, like obviously, a, everybody knows that song. That's the same. <laughs> there's two. There's two songs that they have. That there's two. There's, there's that's two fine. songs. That's one song. I don't know who sings it. If it was Cameron, you'd you'd know. Hell yeah! Yeah, see. <laughs> oh my god, Mama you, gotta, mia. you just gotta find the sweet spot. It's that's just all. like, oh, like this, this song's good, but this one, oh, there's no way I would know this one. Hey, ma, 
That's right. <laughs> That's right. We'll get it on nine. See, Lavanna knows. <laughs> I, fucking, I love this. At that time, my mom was having a fling with Cameron. What yeah. the fuck? Shut up. No lie. Shut up. Wait, no lie. wait. So when she, wait, when he did the verse, I called my boy. Did you hit? Wait, <laughs> he was talking about your mom. She, she, was, the one, she was the one in the passenger seat driving home. Sometimes you gotta leave him in the streets, bro. Listen, Damn. all I know is that this time my mom was having a fling with him. <laughs> Everything else, no idea. Yeah. The more no you idea. know. <laughs> Nor did I care. We're, we're, oh really learning, God. we're learning help. a lot today. Help, help, help. We need help. You're help. having fun. Uh, the, we gotta pivot. Uh, <laughs> you say help. You're the, you're the host of the show. I know. I'm trying to find a way, man. You I'm trying help. to find a way. Matt, has, has, any, has any of your family members dated any rappers? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I doubt it. I, I can say the chance is probably not high. British <laughs> rappers on the it's rise. It's probably though. not yeah. zero. Yeah. My mom's dated. Three. Three? Who are the other two? Um Joel Santana for sure. Nope. <laughs> Some Jadakiss. Or not Jadakiss. Like and fucking um Man, put her mom on blast like this. Yeah. She's dead. Who cares? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus <laughs> oh man. Uh, and there's one more. Wait. Somebody wait. Queensbridge. Uh, I was gonna say, was it the wait, what's that song? Uptown baby. Uptown baby. You know Lord Tariq. Lord Tariq. Peter Guns. No. Is it Peter Guns? Peter Guns. No. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, my mom had a bad history of dating. Anybody actually. wants to know? Uh, <laughs> They're all drug dealers and rappers. <laughs> <laughs> if what? anybody wants to know how much salt Matt uses, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his steak is under there somewhere. <laughs> That's amazing. If I could think of a good line from Scarface right now, I would use it. But I say can't. hello to my little friend. Uh, that's like, the only line anybody remembers. Yeah, uh, does Conrad know it? I was. I was. <laughs> yeah. I would love for you, Landon, to know that these microphones have amplifiers on. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just have so much fun, though. Right, but th that was an amplified part of the movie. The, two, the two people in this room that do not need to eat the microphone in order to get their voice through is you and. Ah! <laughs> 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 nice. Right. All right. So Listen, uh, man, I can keep it here. It's fine. No, it, it's 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 Wherever okay. You want it. <laughs> Honestly, it's fine. Because the second you fuck with it, it's just gonna fall. Right, uh, time I'm gonna talk yeah, about. it happens a lot. There's a big heads up match tonight. I believe they're playing for 160k. Doug Polk has thrown his hat in the arena for the high stakes duel. Oh shit! Look at that. Uh, I feel like this hasn't been getting much coverage because. I forgot this was even happening. I mean, I just said, oh shit, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't everybody really bored of Doug playing people heads up at this point? Probably. I think, I think we're pretty bored of High Stakes Duel too because, like, I mean, the big, <laughs> the big, the big grab for High Stakes Duel is that Helmuth had like an eight win run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Kuhn just stepped in, beat him for 800K and took it all. That was it. <laughs> they hit, Kuhn literally walked in. Beat him for eight hundred thousand. They handed him a belt, and he faded off into the sunset. Well, I feel like Jason Kuhn deserves the belt. You know, like if there's anybody who should be given like the world championship belt of yeah. poker at this point, Wait, it didn't, should be Jason didn't, Kuhn. Doesn't Kuhn have to play a couple more times? No, nobody will no. play him. Oh, it resets. Yeah, they yeah. were just like, "Yo, I That's don't want right. to play this guy. He just won." Smart. W. They're smart. If, if nobody smart. will sit you, you just get you get mm -hmm. the title belt. You know. Yeah. So like nobody, nobody would. Nobody play him. wants to to fight the end boss. <laughs> I mean, I mean well, it's not even the well it's not even just that but like they have to put up 1.6 million yeah so it's not like as if 
you know, there's a long list of people who want to play I'm a one point six million. Didn't do it. Sure, sure. Now his <laughs> his uh, stop loss was one point oh two nine million. <laughs> he also is you know a deep stack player, so he doesn't want to play this tournament bullshit. You yeah, know, I get he's, it. he's a specialist. Yeah, um, an artist. If are you we will. watching this tonight? Is is anybody I'm anybody busy. into this? Honestly. Absolutely not. Probably not. I'm like, begging to win. I, no. I got the Steeler game to watch. I got a Pirate game to watch. I got Love Island, Big Brother, Challenge. Man, Jesus who's got Christ. a tougher life than Brian LaManna? <laughs> that's, not, that's an Just agenda works, works of shows. Like, that's like a, a schedule of shows it's, you have yeah, to watch. It's gonna be, it's, yeah, it's going to be. It's not even like they're uh, a choice. He has to watch <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, it's mandatory. Like, right. I am booked. I got to watch these shows. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I, so you're busy. Yeah, I'll catch you. Run. <laughs> I... I will admit that I've watched some of these and they've been kind of good. They have been good. Um, but I haven't tuned into many. I basically only watched the Negranu Helmuth one, if I recall. And maybe a little bit of the Der Helmuth. Um, I mean, I, this format just doesn't interest me. Yeah. It's the problem. I mean, the, the two people playing, it seems like it would be interesting poker, right? It would be... I mean, oh, right? I they're friends know. again. Yeah, I know, it's but like the first off. time they They're played, I was also really, really good. I tuned at, in the first time that they played because I expected a lot of shit talking. Yeah, and then I was highly disappointed. But yeah. that was also cash. Like the right. format was different. Yeah, I think the the other thing about heads up as well is we kind of talked about this when you were playing airball. Is like there's <sighs> a lot of just like you have to check down to river. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of like it's even worse in the tournament version where it's big blind ante and they're yeah. limping a bunch on the button. Right. Limping so there's, is just, pimping. there's a lot of like stuff that doesn't make heads up actually that interesting when it comes yeah. to viewing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> it's slow. Whether this is uh, embarrassing to admit or not, but like Kuhn played help me for 800,000. I didn't even watch a second of it. I, didn't, I don't even think I saw a highlight of it. That's not embarrassing. Like I, I didn't watch, I haven't, I don't think I've watched anything other than, like highlights of any high stakes duel that's ever happened. Like, yeah, I, it's I a big match though. I mean, like it. you know, those we don't we don't see that kind of money getting thrown around all that right. often in this space. Sure. But then, in any also, space. that that kind of leans into the point of like why I didn't think it was necessary to televise the airball match. Mm -hmm. It's like it's very hard to care. Yeah. Nobody cares, even over short spurts, let alone over a hundred hours. A mm hundred -hmm. hours of that would have been just like tw boring. Twitter was the perfect space for for. Uh, for your match yeah, yeah I, I that was, was a fun time i was sweating twitter and the group chat mm -hmm. harder than i've ever sweated like a live stream yeah. heads up match or anything like that it was you know? it was nice that it was like peak space time because mm, right. yeah. it, it was it was almost like post game interviews mm -hmm. yeah. you know like yeah you watch a, a sporting event end and each locker room has a drove of reporters with asking their questions it, it really was kind of like that there were two camps forming mm -hmm. there were two separate spaces that were interviewing each side uh, you yeah. can kind of tune in at your at your leisure. I, honestly, like I know it, it'll be forgotten rather quickly, but I think if ever we do look back on that little section of uh, poker lore, so to speak, it really couldn't have played out better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so many of the details are kind of hidden and generalized, and you know, everybody got like kind of a thirty thousand foot view of what occurred rather than this granular, every single hand played, broken right. down, mm -hmm. you know, for the lay person that doesn't give a shit about 8-3 suited versus Jack Deuce off in yeah. a single raise pot yeah. kind, of, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see how much traction this gets. Uh, we, we've been talking about this a lot, about how stream poker in general is kind of what I think is hitting a bit of a lull. 
and uh, it, it's a big ask for these game runners to keep putting out content that grabs eyes. I'll be curious to see. Basically, I always use Twitter as the barometer. So, how much of this match will be in the conversation on Twitter? Like, how much of my feed will be dominated by this match as opposed to preseason football or whatever the hell else is going on in the world? Like yeah. last night, you know, the the presidential debate or the Republican debate, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, was pretty dominant on my timeline. Uh, I'll be curious to see if, like, you know, there's some heads up duel mm -hmm. taking place there. Probably tonight. a lot of probably a lot of Steeler stuff that you clicked on. Pirates yeah, yeah, Cubs today. Nothing made me happier to see the BetMGM odds of where me the Steelers too. are to win the division. Yeah, me too. Me yeah, too. Me too. <laughs> they're at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, free money. Yeah, thank you. Free money, baby. They, they're right. they're still eight and a half in the books, man. This is like the freest money of all time. Yeah, you better you better bet it. I I'm betting Platt, <clears throat> big free. Um, but I feel like I need to get Wait, way more. Wait, can down. I? Can I get? Do it. I want to get some down on that. Well, Eight gotta, and a half. Got nope. NFL talk while I'm on the podcast. Mm. I don't know what the fuck you guys. Are well, doing. We're, we're, oh. it's sports betting talk, so yeah. you know you can get back in. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to bet a sport I can't even tolerate watching. I'll bet cricket right the fuck now. <laughs> <laughs> he's clearly never been stuck when he's been betting on sports. You're on like Japanese uh, baseball. You need to try to find a way to get a hit. Bro, I bet marble races. I don't know mm -hmm. what we're talking about. <laughs> I used to bet on like African basketball leagues and just sweat the updates from like Bovada Sportsbook. Now, the, the, what you got to do is bet on the rigged. Uh, soccer matches in Africa. Yeah, once you figure out versus the right, right once side, you figure yeah. out what where all the match fixing's happening, like where the players are like deliberately scoring own goals because they they're getting a piece of some guy who's bet an amount on their team to lose. Like that shit happens in African soccer and Asian soccer leagues all really? the time. So what like, you're saying well. is, yeah. if you can't beat them, join them. Join. Yeah, if you can't beat them, find a guy who's rigging matches in like Zaire or. Some other Africa that doesn't even exist anymore, like Zambia. I'm thinking of like some minor African league. Find a guy who's rigging matches, pay off all the players, and you're you're golden. Talk about soccer. Wasn't there a soccer player that was cheating in poker or something? Oh, there you go. Good segue. Good segue. I, we couldn't bring it up yesterday because I couldn't read the article. Right. Well, you just <laughs> so have to click the Google Translate. Google Translate. That's the key. Yeah. Garbashewski. Honestly, uh, this this player is not like a notable soccer player at all. Um, I just, I saw this on a, I saw this being discussed in like a soccer context. And since it involves poker, I thought it was interesting. But um, the guy who he, or like one of the players that I think got ripped off in, in this cheating scandal, it was some kind of cheating ring involving marked cards and things like that. Um, the guy who got ripped off is a guy named Max Cruz. Max Cruz. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he's related to Fatal Cruz, but he's actually uh, a pretty pretty good level soccer player yeah. who from what i know plays pretty high stakes poker as well and um has done reasonably well and i think is probably a reasonable candidate once he retires from soccer to like continue playing poker so um certainly within i would imagine i mean i don't know but within german poker this probably is uh big thing it's probably like it's probably making news yeah. to some degree but mm -hmm. Doesn't affect us a lot over here. It's just another interesting cheating scandal involving marked cards because that seems to be a, a theme these days. This yeah. happened in a live venue. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it. Um, it well, it's, obviously, if it's marked cards, it's hard to right. to mark yeah. cards I, I think it. Um, I think it, it. It involves like players having set up some kind of procedure to mark cards, but between the translation of the article and the the fact that it wasn't being written by a, a poker outlet. Like they, 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 I don't think they understood exactly the specifics of the scheme. Right, like right. It was just some, some soccer website that was writing about it. So 
I don't know the the particulars, but yeah, marked cards are uh, apparently a big deal these days. Not surprised. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of athletes who delve into poker after the fact, and I think <clears throat> when you take highly competitive people that may not have come from a lot of money and now have a lot of money, you can see some nefarious behavior begin to exist where uh, it becomes more about being the smartest one in in capturing all of the potential upside mm -hmm. than it does being good at poker. Yeah. Uh, and I say this just because I know of a bunch of home games that were run by a few NBA guys that were all very cheated. Yeah. Like, highly cheated. You got to get in on those soccer player home games. You got to play with, like, Neymar and all these other soccer players who don't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to poker. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds I, like you just got to befriend <laughs> the game runners and then get a piece of the people that uh, are getting... Well, Neymar just moved to Saudi Arabia, so maybe you got to move to Saudi Arabia. No. I think... Uh, Might not be worth it. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they frown upon gambling a lot. I heard... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kidding here because... Yeah. I heard Dubai has, like, a, a pretty big underground poker scene, but it's also, like, highly legal. Yeah, they're, it, they're open Dubai, at casino. Yeah. Dubai's, Dubai's pretty strict. I, I'm pretty D sure you, Dubai is very different from Saudi Arabia, though. Like, yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Dubai, Abu Dhabi, the, the whole... Uh, Emir each of the Emirates like that, they're much more westernized than, than Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is trying, like they're doing a lot of sports washing right now and buying all the soccer players they can from Europe, but uh, it'll be a long time before Saudi Arabia says, hey, let's play poker. You yeah, know? sure. The win is putting a casino in, uh, I believe, Dubai. Mm -hmm. Isn't it true about the Bahamas as well? Can't Bahamians can't play Lo Baham Bahamian locals can't play. That, that's right, right. that's yeah. common whenever you look at a lot of these tourist trap places mm -hmm. where the local economy is pretty low and yeah. mm -hmm. reliant upon um, the, the influx of yeah. people coming in. And yeah, right. you don't want to break your locals. You right. just want to like yeah. trap mm -hmm. the money that comes in. Yeah, yeah. Those those um, casinos are like part of what keeps the islands running. I mean, for sure, got to be the majority, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I saw like completely off, like not off topic, but with soccer players in poker, uh, Mike Jozoff got second in a GG tournament and he, he played against Sergio Aguero, Aguero uh, yeah. who won the entire thing. It's like, oh, like this guy's just super, super good at soccer <laughs> yeah. and in his free time just fucks around on GG and just plays MTTs. Yeah, he was, he was here during WSOP the whole time. Like, really? I, yeah, he played, he played the, the 50K and the 100K high rollers, I think. Really? Aguero, yeah. Oh, I just and missed it. Literally, Fuck. he's like top 10 players in the history of the Premier League in, in England. Really? And uh, it was wow. super surreal for me because I've watched this guy his entire career. Like my, a friend of mine who, who lived in Spain for a while and um, studied Spanish in college had a shirt with this guy's name on it. Mm -hmm. And then like a couple months ago, I'm like, yeah, that's him right there. Um, I'm, I'm sitting there like on a break from some tournament that I'm in and like at, at the, at Paris and you know, like, I'm, I'm just sitting in the corner and like, I see a guy like running out of the bathrooms to go back to where they're playing the 50 K and I'm like, oh shit, that's Sergio Guerrero. That's this guy. <laughs> that's this guy who I've probably watched him play soccer like a hundred times. Yeah. Like, it's such, such a surreal thing. That's wild. It's nice when two See, worlds collide. Look, is, we yeah. talk about football for a little bit. We then bring it to the other kind of football, and then he's happy. Exactly. There we go. Yeah, now happy. he's happy, and I'm lost. Right. <laughs> look, sometimes you got to switch. I'm, exactly. I'm fine with it. Uh, it would be nice to see, since we were talking about sports betting, it, it would be nice to see some sort of integration of uh, a predictive market or a sports betting market for these high-key premier matches like Heads Up Duel. There, there aren't that many instances of poker where we are so certain of the field that we can bet on it. But mm -hmm. like these uh, like 
premeditated matches or whatever lend themselves to having a public betting market. I'm surprised are, that like BetMGM or you know any of the the major local sports books don't get on it. Usually, Bet Online jumps on shit like this. Do they? Yeah, sometimes. Um, I'm gonna look right now if they have it, but usually, isn't this the, what Mike McDonald did with his website? Yeah, but it wasn't in the states, and uh, I I don't know why. I, I don't want to even speculate as to why he ultimately closed it. Maybe he was just bored. Maybe uh, he felt like it was difficult to be sharp on lines or whatever. But um, that was a very popular outlet whenever it existed. Hmm. It's just we all had to do it through private channels because it was uh, based in Canada, I think. Yeah, Bet, Bet Online usually has like, they put up stuff for like the main event and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. like usually anything that's a couple months away or like whatever. Yeah, away. but they just make it like where it's impossible to bet on, right? Because they're not sharp, so they go so conservatively towards giving you a shit line that right, nobody yeah. puts any money yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe ten dollars moves everything. When they're like these heads up matches, maybe they're worried that it's too easy to fix. I don't. Yeah, maybe. Know. I mean, they're playing for real money, right? It's kind of it's it's kind of difficult. Like, I mean, sure, you're right. There's there's obviously a, yeah. a yeah. world where they could fix it, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, you would have to be able to get a fucking shit ton of action down, yeah, in order to justify fixing a 300k heads up match. Usually, well, um, I mean the players themselves. Yeah, yeah. right. But that's usually, what I mean yeah, too. Yeah. Usually, betting limits are like five hundred dollars and something like. Yeah, that. that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it would be difficult to get enough action down where ten thousand accounts. Can be bought off. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to open ten thousand accounts, five hundred apiece. <laughs> <laughs> and then even then, you still have to kick back like money to them to yep. to fix the whole thing yeah. and you gotta get five uh, ten thousand different ids progress. no problem everybody from the podcast please dm me now you gotta get, <laughs> you gotta get an, an ai to up to upload ids for you and and like open all these accounts for you you gotta like automate the whole process there you go yeah. that's a, that's a nice little pivot because uh i imagine at some point ai will take over <laughs> the the betting market streets when it comes to like online gambling mm -hmm. and i'm sure that this is something that they're probably combating against like with models yeah i mean uh, this stuff already happens right well, well not just with models but uh with with being able like the way high frequency day trading works uh it became futile for humans to try to uh to do it manually anymore right because you could just build models that were fast enough to basically trade uh fractions of cents on the dollar at, at high volume mm -hmm. uh i would think that at some point betting markets would become mm -hmm. the same like whenever it comes to moving lines finding sharp lines all this other stuff if you can just similar to like seat scripting where you know uh online poker cash games were overtaken by seat scripters for a long period of time before they they fought against it um i'm obviously not sharp enough about sports betting to know how much of this would be impactful or or matter but i imagine that their security is probably building something to combat against automation, right? Like um, daily fantasy comes to mind. Uh, so there's already like plenty of models out there where you can automate X amount of lineups, hundreds, whatever, things of that nature. Do so you uh, think it might be the same for something like best ball? I would imagine, yeah, right? For sure. Like just getting a bunch of um, diversity in your in your drafts and being able to draft at high volume has to be worth a lot, especially in uh, like underdog and, and these other best ball leagues where they're big pools. They're similar. I, 
I shouldn't say they're like one to one comparison, but they're very similar to the Circa, um, the Survivor, the Survivor, yeah. Where you know you might be in a in a draft pool of I, I don't know thousands, right? With with big prizes up top, so it seems like finding ways to be as efficient as humanly possible is probably the biggest edge that you can garner, well, right? Way more than being sharp. And that kind of the idea is like you just kind of want to try to automate as many things as you can if you have proof that it's the correct way forward. Well, if you're sharp in any capacity, you just want to model it and then set it and forget it, right? right. Like yeah. That's, that's kind of the beauty of, of AI and things of this nature. But uh, it does kind of bring up the discussion of online poker security and uh, the ways that they're combating against specifically collusion for the context of this conversation. Uh, we've talked a lot about RTA in the past and RTA detection and how much more difficult it's becoming now that people have all of these tools available to them that allow them to play a lot closer to GTO and things of that nature. But um, that's a problem in and of itself, but what's becoming a, a much more rampant problem. And I think one of the bigger issues that isn't really discussed is that uh, kind of a byproduct of this becoming a rampant problem is the fact that people are able to iterate on app games. So most of the apps just have little to no security whatsoever. And collusion rings are rampant. Uh, and this dates all the way back to the original Chinese apps like uh, Poker Master and Poker Fishes. These were, you know, you'd often sit in a short four, five, six-handed game and just be playing against three or four people that are card sharing the whole time. Kind of putting you at a pretty massive disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, even in Hold'em. But when you start to get into the PLO4, PLO5 card games, now all of a sudden... You might be playing against somebody who has half the deck known to them or a quarter of the deck known to them. Uh, and, you know, this kind of does bring it all the way back to the blocker conversation, which we can get into a little bit more. But yesterday, Rob Kuhn put out a tweet that said uh, ACR was considering some innovative, creative solutions to reduce collusion. <laughs> Um, and the idea that they threw out was mark cards being re-entered into the deck. And he kind of prefaced it by saying like, yeah, I know that sounds weird. However, I, he was a little bit, uh, he's exaggerating a bit here in his, or he, maybe he just overlooked it. But he said, however, this completely prevents collusion, especially at PLO when more cards are relevant. It doesn't completely prevent it, obviously. Um, but I do think that there's a big reduction of what information is useful now right. to people who are attempting to collude. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, when we're talking about like five card PLO, four card PLO, whatever, it doesn't take that many people being in on it for you to have a lot of knowledge of the deck. So the biggest way to understand this is when we talk about blockers, uh, you know, going back to the conversation that we had uh, a few days ago, when we're talking about blocking or, uh, you know, knowledge of how our cards in our hand um, reduce combinations of our opponent's range or, you know, potential holdings that they could possibly have, what that does is it skews equities ever so slightly one way or the other. Um, but what we're really talking about is just sheer card removal. I have the ace of spades, you can't have the ace of spades, right? That's, that's a that's a one-to-one -one removal effect. Um, but if you just say, I have an ace, that reduces the amount of aces that you can potentially have. That's now just like sheer card removal and, and how it works with combinatorics. 
when you're playing these four and five card games and you're able to, to have vision over like let's say 12 cards in the deck 16 cards in the deck 15 cards in the deck something along those lines now what's actually happened is when you go to a flop rather than there being uh rather than the deck now containing 45 cards if you're playing uh if you're playing hold'em wait no 47 cards if you're playing hold'em uh 45 cards if you're playing omaha it now actually only contains like 35 cards because you have vision over an additional uh 12 cards or, or something along those lines right and what that does is drastically move equities right if if you know that the deck that you're playing with now has 12 cards removed from it you now are effectively playing a short deck where everybody else is playing a full deck mm -hmm. right that's a tremendous advantage and that's how these collusion rings are just printing money hand over fist by inserting all the muck cards back into the deck what it does is it provides now that everybody is playing with a full deck across the board right because those cards were always unknown to the general populace and for the people that they're known to they now only become relevant in that they reduce the amount of combinations your opponent can have in its hand in their hands yeah. so it shifts the way the collusion uh would work because it, in beginning it would be both it could be card correct. removal at the end it's and, yeah it's card removal across every single street yes and right. also like even pre-flop if you see that you have a wrap in your hand all your outs are taken you're like you're just gonna not play it as you know aggressive correct, correct. so like it just it takes away the pre-flop um advantage and just shifts it to the end um i mean it's the same at the end it's same like it neutralizes it a bit, yeah. yeah. The preflop edge is still there, obviously. Like, if you know 12 cards and you know your opponent doesn't have... Like, if you have, if you have suited kings and you have vision over 12 other cards and three of them are aces, you know that your opponent doesn't have aces. Yeah. But that knowledge is now only functional on the preflop street. Yeah, so I'm if sorry, you, if, if you can't get wrong. the money all in, right, yeah. it, it, it's not really all that important once you get to the flop... Unless, you know, it comes like ace, deuce, deuce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that wrong. Like that. I, meant, I meant the opposite of what I said. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I meant it's um, on this, the later streets is more where you can cheat. Yeah. I, but, I mean, the most important factor here, in my opinion, is that everybody's playing with a full deck. Because uh, being, able to, being able to have enough knowledge of the remaining deck to the point where you can reduce it is actually going to sway equities pretty heavily. Having a little bit additional knowledge over what your opponent cannot be holding will sway equities, but in my opinion, nowhere near as substantially as uh, you know knowing that the deck does or does not contain certain cards. You're choosing the lesser of two evils. You're not even. You're reducing, reducing the collusion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're not eliminating it at all. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. really see anything particularly bad about this. It is gonna. One thing I think people will probably underestimate is the. The bunching effect is a real thing, mm -hmm. and it is going to slightly shift what preflop strategies look like and what a lot of strategies look like because there's a, a slight effect that's created by, let's say, when you're on the button. If you're on the button playing three-handed, your opening range is going to be slightly wider than if you're playing nine-handed because when it folds to you on the button nine-handed, there's a slightly higher likelihood of the folded ranges having included lower cards mm -hmm. which means there's a slightly higher likelihood of higher cards being present in the ranges behind you 
So that, that's the bunching effect, and that is going to have a slight impact in most cases. But in this instance, if you're now removing that altogether, your opening range three-handed on the button is going to look exactly the same as your opening range nine-handed instead of having like a half a percent difference. And when, when it's that, also going to affect... Well, no, it, that wouldn't change. It, should, it shouldn't right. change anything pre-flop. Yeah, those, those, those hands are not going into the people's hands now they're they're still everyone still has the exact same hands that they would have had so if they fold those hands it's not they just go back into the muck that could come out on the flop not into the actual hands. right but right? what i what i'm saying is that because there is an effect that is in place when the mucked cards are not going back into the deck like when you okay. when you when you open under the gun so you oh so you, you know that there's less chance of right. small cards coming you, out on the flop when, well, no, it's because when, when they, you, they, let's, say, let's say we're playing nine-handed. The under-the-gun mm -hmm. player, if they're opening 10% of hands, then as soon as they fold, that 90% of the deck is what they have folded, right? That right. remaining 90%. That 90% is slightly skewed in favor of them having had lower cards, which means when you, amp, when you multiply that by six players that fold around to the button... The button is now slightly more likely to be in a situation where the some of the lower cards in the deck are more likely to have been folded, and mm -hmm. the higher cards are le are still left in players' hands. Slightly more likely. It's only about a half a percent range difference or something, but it does matter. Um, but you're just removing that when you do this, and it wait, doesn't it doesn't change anything. Wait, why are you removing it? That's still true. The cards are all dealt at once. So the big blind and small blind will still mm -hmm. have a concentration to high cards. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever eight people fold or seven right. people fold. That's what I was saying. The bunching effect does, it won't be impacted oh, at shit. all. Yeah, you're it's right. only post flop that will be right. impacted. Yeah. So all that will be impacted now is that whenever you go to the flop. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, I'm 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 being stupid about this. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Never mind. Ignore me. Well, <laughs> it, that. no, it's actually it's actually a good a good point to bring up because I think the biggest pushback to this or the biggest criticism to something like this outside of it, just like looking a little bit awkward and wanting to keep things status quo and not really mess with what's not broken. I think the biggest pushback is that it's, it's difficult to understand mm -hmm. the, the initial impact of putting mucked cards back in the deck feels dirty to amateurs because now a card that they folded showed up on the flop, mm -hmm. right? So that feels uh, unfair in some capacity. It's very similar. The comparison I made whenever I was speaking to the pads about it is uh, it was similar to trying to onboard uh, running it twice. Mm -hmm. I'm old enough to remember when you could not run it twice anywhere. And uh, for a long time, places like the Brigada were way behind. They, they would let you do equity splits mm -hmm. post-flop. Like if I have aces and you have kings and we get it all in pre- they would let you do an 80-20 chop if you <laughs> wanted, but you could not run the pot twice. And that remained true until like the mid-2010s, like 2014, 2015 maybe. So I remember what it was like to play Hold'em where you weren't allowed to run it twice. And I remember what it was like to onboard recreationals trying to explain to them that the math doesn't change. Mm -hmm. But they see pots getting chopped so frequently in situations where otherwise they're accustomed to like, what do you mean? I had top two versus a flush draw. I just scoop there a lot. And they just forget how often they get scooped. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so now they start chopping this pot a bunch. And they're like, this feels awful. It feels like I'm giving up whatever edge I have. And to this day, I still play with recreationals who will not run it twice because they think they're taking the worst of it somehow.
They're convinced of it. So yeah. trying to educate the general populace that putting muck cards back in the deck will help protect them from people card sharing is a difficult conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, very challenging one to onboard. Um, well, yeah, ahead. it's an interesting one because the problem is the cheating in itself, right? The issue is the multi-accounting. Yes. Or like the knowing and card yes. sharing, right? Like you have- Or the collusion you, Yeah, you have extra info. Right. And now it's like, okay, how do we give them less power, but not, but do it in the most palatable, palatable way. And there is no palatable way to say, hey, there's card sharing going on. Here's how we have to do it. It's like, oh, like this is scary. It's like, welcome to what is, this is how we're doing things about it. And if you want to play, great. If you don't, like, understand like welcome to gambling like i, I think recreational to... players would be happier to know that the site is actively doing stuff that is supposed to reduce cheating mm -hmm. more so than they would be sad to so that's kind of my argument something. it's tough right my argument is that like i don't think the pros are feasting off of people like mike Mattisau. i don't think mike represents the average online quote-unquote fish I think that like online book would be a lot more live if he did. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I think the I think the average online recreational is like nice. pretty sharp and probably is a winner live. I know many people that are like recreational poker players that are just winning at two hundred zoom. Yeah. I, I like they play I think, for fun, but they okay, want to win. We're, we're talking about the people that are losing at two hundred zoom, right? Like Well, that's the point. Well you're saying that like you're saying like I'm saying that like I don't think the average online loser is reflective of somebody who doesn't understand that math is a deep-seated part of poker. Similar to like the way the average live loser does. Like the average live loser is a bookie from New Jersey that doesn't even understand that math is a part of this game and thinks he's the unluckiest guy in the world every time that somebody flops a set versus aces. Yeah. I don't think that's the average online loser. They just look kind of like they know that math is Real or I, I think the, yeah, I think the average online loser is like you know probably on poker Twitter and probably uh, you know has at least watched a bunch of YouTube stuff on on the game and is like yeah. understands that game theory is a thing even if he doesn't necessarily apply it. It's a weird, it's a weird like answer to your question when it comes to addressing nefarious activity mm. because. For the people that are conspiracy theorists, they already are conspiracy theorists. Yes. So they true. don't play anyways. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah, they already true. think the RNG is um, rigged. Mm -hmm. So but what's right. the difference? But at yeah. the same time, there is some form of dream that there isn't. Like you're kind of trying to put something behind a curtain, but you can't put it behind the curtain for game integrity purposes. Right. It's like you just have to say, hey, like there's this shit going on and like buyer beware. Right. So I view this similar similarly to introducing the big blind ante where it's a people hated it at first right a hundred percent i beg i pleaded, i would have no idea this is before my i time. pleaded with no it's not well i mean maybe it, it kind is. of is i never played without big blind ante you know the wsop uh, just implemented w, uh big blind ante in 2019 yeah i wasn't playing tournaments yeah he was he was only well, 20 sense. <laughs> i mean like right. i played probably played like sub 20 tournaments with annie from everybody yeah really that, that's fair yeah uh, uh i i it was a long back and forth with WSOP Brass where I was begging them to do this because <laughs> that and eliminate antis from the, or, or sorry, uh, initiate antis from the start. Right. And the, the pushback was always the same. It was the same messaging that we're seeing with something like this where innovation mm -hmm. kills the recreational. Yep. This is how it's always been. People don't like change. They're going right. to be confused. They think that they're 
Edge is going to be even worse now because they don't understand the new change. Right, but it's yeah. insulting to the recreational because mm -hmm. that implication would also state that recreationals will never play a new game format. And we can see that that's just fundamentally false. Yeah, for sure. As in like, oh, I went to play with a big line anti or not? Uh, yeah, basically like... Or saying like PLO wouldn't get the traction it has now. Correct, or short deck and or... The, the recreationals love games. the big blind anti because it makes the game quicker, faster. You they don't also have don't to feel the anti anymore. They don't, yeah, it's like, yeah, they, it's they, true. They don't, when they're short, they don't feel that they're mm -hmm. anteing themselves to death. Yeah. What does suck is when the table keeps breaking, you keep going in the big blind. That's rare. I, I, yeah, I, it is rare, but I've seen but, people. But like, that's why I'm equating yeah, the two because right. obviously there are downsides to the big mm -hmm. blind answer. Right, of course. Yeah, but have you ever yes. doubled under the gun, broke, and then drew cut off? That's nice. That is the yeah, greatest feeling of all time. Right, it works both ways. Right, so it's just like there, there's there's clear <laughs> downside to the big blind ante yeah. that could be unpalatable to certain people. Like mm -hmm. you only have one chip left and it goes anti first. Right, that's very unpalatable. It's crazy to me that we we don't. I don't go know how the more it's not friendly big, way. We should go the big blind first. Yeah, because yeah, like when you're talking about an amateur, but, if you're an amateur and you have to ante off your last chip, mm -hmm. and you know that all you can win back is that chip, right. And you have but, to survive a multi-way spot. That's right. crazy. I mean, the, the counter argument to that is, is you're, you're essentially paying for the ante for every every spot. I understand the logic I you, behind I'm, I'm it. Just, I'm explaining it to, to everyone. Well, no, like, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I get that there's logic behind right. it. I just don't necessarily agree that it matters, right? Because you also don't play poker without a big blind. But in that instance, you would. Yeah. So it's like, which logic reigns supreme? I well, think, in my opinion, it's generally going to be the one that is best for the amateur. Usually the one that's best for the I amateur mean, is they don't have to win a multi-way pot not, to get I'm, one I'm, chip back. Yeah, no, I'm not arguing. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I yeah, think it I'll should just, be that way. Sorry, right? I don't mean to come yeah. off combative. That, right. that wasn't my point. Yeah. Um, but what I'm getting at here is that clearly this isn't a... a, a it, it's not a, a flawless solution by any stretch. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's an out-of-the-box solution that should at least get some consideration rather than the knee-jerk response of this does nothing... Uh, please don't do this or like you know this is this is bad for the game type of stuff yeah generally speaking we greatly overestimate what is actually bad for the game we all have this notion of like mm -hmm. thinking we know what's bad for the game and what's good for the game and most of us are just like way off the mark i mean it's always an opinion right i mean so, sure some things are like call it uh collective conscious agreed bad for the game yeah and then some are more like personal well, I mean, there are certain things that we can know that are bad for the game because they actually gain EV. Like? Uh, like seed hopping. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right? We know that that gains EV. That's probably just going to be bad for the game. Are there any cons to doing this besides uh, just the unfamiliarity that people have with it? That's a good question, honestly. And I, I think that's, that's something worth posing to everybody. Uh, I personally don't see any like off it, the it rip. It won't change equities anyway. Like that's important change. to make people understand. Right. If you read that thread, mm -hmm. they're convinced that like... The example that keeps getting given, and this is a very poor example uh, because I, I think that they don't understand how card removal works. But the example that keeps getting given is uh, I have the queen high flush draw. My buddy has the, uh, had the ace of hearts in his hand. And tells me that he folded, or, or like we're on the turn, and he folds it to put mm -hmm. it back in the deck yeah. and increase my equity. Right, but no, but all the other cards get put back in the deck as well. So it's like, but it, that's not even the point, right? I, I'm saying if I'm, you weren't I'm, I'm colluding, going, I'm going from a, right, right. But if yes. you weren't colluding, you would never know. Right. That. You, would you would never, never know, know that the Ace of Hearts right. wasn't in the I'm, deck anyway. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like it's like when you, you know, like you said, you do nine out of how many unknown cards there are. 
Right. And the unknown cards doesn't matter if they're sitting in the muck or if they're shuffled in the deck. Right. So the easy right. or the easy counter is like, well, you wouldn't know anything about the Ace of Hearts right. if you weren't colluding. Right. So all this does by the the people who are colluding, like folding with the purpose to increase the equities, all they do is bring the equities back to normal. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So they have the if 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 the cards didn't go back into the muck, what ends up happening is they know the equities are against them. Mm -hmm. And they might make like an exploitatively uh, winning fold, I guess, or whatever right. the case may be, instead of like chasing their draw for the proper outs. And now they just get the proper price to, to draw because they're back to a level playing field. But everybody's at least operating off the same playing field. Mm -hmm. Them having the knowledge that those two cards were folded is meaningless. Yeah, I think maybe the best way to, to go about it, and I'm not the person to do this, but like if you could like show what it would be like, how equities shift, how much they shift, uh, when there's three people colluding in a, in, right. a, in, a, in an Omaha game, yeah. and then and then take that away, and then and be like, okay, now they can't do this, and here's how much edge they had, and now they don't have it. You're you're absolutely right, right? I think if we could visual, if you can visually if you demonstrate, can quantify yeah. it, yeah, uh, it's, it wouldn't be that difficult. We could visually run spots and demonstrate mm -hmm. what knowing twelve cards out of the deck looks like, where now you are on a flop, right, and your equity is uh, so. Say, say three people were colluding together in Omaha. That's 12 cards removed yeah. from the deck. Now you understand that you're dealing with uh, minus the flop. You're increasing your EV, right? Because you know that some cards aren't going to come in distributionally. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, not just equity. You're looking at a 37-card deck yeah, instead both, of right. a 49-card deck. Mm -hmm. Let's say if you're playing... Or, or sorry, a 45-card deck. If you're playing PLO, you, you have like middle set, and you see that the... Like two of... Like, or one, of one or two of the cards that would allow someone who has bottom set to one out you mm. or gone. Like if you, if you know that when you have middle set, bottom set is now drawing dead, that obviously is yeah, going to change. Yeah, or, 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 the, or the, the top set is not possible because those exactly, guys right. Same now thing, you know yeah. you have the best hand. Right, if it's ace. Right, because ace, you know you're not set over set. Honestly, ace, those, those, yeah. are, those are probably like... It's huge. No, I was going to say those are probably like the least impactful. Mm. Um, I'm just thinking of spots where you have the most certainty over... What, like, they're the most like, impactful yeah. as far as certainty goes, but they're probably the least impactful as far as equity shifting go. Look, the way that it's it's most impactful is if you have a wrap, yeah, and you know that none of your outs are folded, and now all of a sudden you have fifteen oh, yeah. outs yeah. out of a thirty-seven card deck instead, instead of fifteen of four, outs yeah. out of a forty-five card wow, deck. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a massive Huge. shift in equities, right? Mm -hmm. sure, sure, sure. You might have gone from being like a fifty-five forty-five favorite. To being like a 65 35 favorite. Yeah, yeah. that's huge. Which me, is significant. Let mm -hmm. me ask you a question. So, like, say we're three ways on a turn, right? And I have a flush draw, we're playing five card PLO, let's say. Yep. I have a flush draw and I pot, somebody folds, and I get called, whatever. Now, that hand gets put back into the muck, Correct. And shuffled in. Correct. And wouldn't that inc like? Wouldn't this be bad? Because say that that hand contains a bunch of hearts. Say you, don't, I, uh, you don't know. I I get it, but like you don't know. Everything we do is operated off of known information. That's why collusion works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying, Connie. Because, because the, in multi-way post-flop spots, ranges are heavily weighted in one direction or another, mm -hmm. right? So like, in, let's say in a hold'em spot, you go three ways to a flop. It's an ace-high flop. Original raiser bets, somebody calls, third player raises. The original raiser tank folds. Like, 
disproportionately a tank fold in that spot is going to be weighted towards like a weak ace mm -hmm. and therefore if we if that folding range if that bet folding range is specifically weighted towards one type of hand then the the one remaining player who's left to act after the raise should factor that into their decision and the fact that that first player the original raiser um you know if their hand is going to be put back into the deck then if the you know the player who's facing the raise if they have an ace they know they still have two outs to make trips instead of potentially only having one out because mm -hmm. an ace is folded right so i see what you're saying right but but, but, but it's also not going to be a big effect it shouldn't have any effect though because it doesn't change the range of the person who is re-raising in that spot on the flop right so that range is already so tight that that out may be dead any like it may be meaningless Right, but I'm, right, what, like if you're if you're talking about like an ace nine three board where right. it goes bet call raise fold, and you know that that folder probably had an ace and that ace is going back in the deck and you have a hand like ace ten, mm -hmm. uh, you're you're not that much more live versus the raising range to begin with. No, I'm not saying it makes a big difference, but I'm right. saying I'm saying it, it does have at least a non-zero impact on strategy. Well, let's just play the, the big spooky game of what's but if you know if two aces are gone and you have no more outs to make trips. Then you just get the pure fold. You know you can't improve. Right, but like... if those, Sure, it's tough and it's hard. And all no, stuff. it's not even that. It's if those cards don't go back in the deck. Whether those cards go back in the deck or not, you don't are not. going to find yourself in a scenario where you are against a very strong range anyway, and you're probably factoring that in when you fold. Like, think of it... This, the most simplified version of this is preflop, right? But you find a... Go back in the deck. You no, you're right. You, you find a scenario where... Uh, under the gun opens, under the gun won three bets, and you cold four bet kings. Now, under the gun won, or sorry, under the gun tanks forever it, with what you expect to be probably ace king, and he folds. And then under the gun two calls, right? And then it comes, you know, whatever. You factor in the fact that like ace king was probably folded there, right? To, to some mm -hmm. degree, right? Or, you know, you give yourself a, a simpler scenario where um, under the gun one, or sorry, under the gun opens, you three bet two jacks under the gun one, and then the cutoff tanks forever with what you think is like ace king and then mucks, and then under the gun jams, right? We call there a lot more often because we think like his outs are dead more, more frequently. Uh -huh. That's the simple scenario that I'm trying to create. So like those cards getting put back into the deck, Sure, it's going to make the deck a little bit more rich with hands that could potentially uh, interact with a range, but it doesn't change your strategy really at all, right? Like you're still just against this narrow range where you're trying to manipulate unknown information in your head by making assumptions that a tank equals X, yeah. right? That's, that's just never really going to be impactful whenever you go post, even in multi-way spots, I don't think, where... You know, a, a lot of heavy action takes place and somebody who clearly connected with the board folds their hand and that hand that had clearly connected with the board gets put back into the deck. I don't think the two remaining players are able to benefit or manipulate that at all in their strategy. They would just have people guessing, like I think, like a little bit more. It, but but that, like, that's what I mean. Like there's, there is no, there's no subjective guessing. kind of there's thing. There's no guessing because yeah. their cards getting put back in the deck is, is equivalent to them have never, have never no. been in the hand. Yeah, I understand. But it's just, I feel like there would be some type of like, 
for what it's worth, I think this is a great conversation because I think that this is the problem with this solution is like, look, everybody in this room has played for a very long time. And is pretty smart and is, is kind of trying to, to pick apart how something that truly doesn't impact equities can potentially impact equities. Mm -hmm. So imagine what people who aren't very thoughtful and don't know very much about poker immediately jump to right this impacts my equity mm -hmm. that's why i equated it to running it twice right it took a lot I, I i jumped through hoops whenever i first started thinking about running it twice like i went through so many mental gymnastics yeah like, it, like of how I, it has to be impacting right my equity. i don't play a lot of cash and i've don't usually don't play games where you run it twice so like i have i haven't really actually thought about this a lot and like my first instinct is like well wouldn't you wouldn't like if you had a flush draw wouldn't it, your equities be different on the second board than the first board they will for sure right but, but you're just you know you're drawing to half the the reward right the evs are the same yeah your your bottom line will be the same over a million iterations okay. over infinite iterations right. but like mm -hmm. that's not necessarily logical right right because you jump to the extreme and you say okay well if i've I set one a, out i've set over set and right. i have one out yeah one out you can't win both i never win when, right Right, I never win the whole pot when right. we run it twice. Yeah, but that doesn't matter because you're only entitled to whatever X you know, percent yeah. five percent yeah. of the pot to begin with. I right. Think, I think there is a an element that's different between this and running it twice, though, because the the example that, and I'm not saying that this has anything to do with how much it influences collusion or, or that that it actually makes it possible to collude or anything. But like the example I'm thinking of is we talked about this uh, this Triton event where there was this huge hand where the the guy goes all in out of turn with aces mm -hmm. and king kings ends up folding yeah malaka yeah. malaka yeah. stuff right mm -hmm. and uh, chidwick is there with ace king now in that spot let's say you are chidwick and you have a high level of confidence that the hand that was folded was kings or queens right knowing that versus knowing that those cards are going to be put back in the deck, when you have ace-king in Chidwick's spot there, that very much, it doesn't influence your perception about the cold four-betting range, but it does influence your equity. Because if you think that two kings have been folded and you have ace-king, versus if you think that those kings are going to go back into the deck, surely there has to be an element of understanding that that influences the equity of your hand. I, yeah. I don't think so, though. But how could it not? Because it's like that person was never in the pot. But it's not because they're, they're, the range... The, it's not because the, the range that they folded is so heavily weighted towards one region of hands. Which I understand. Means I understand. But them being in the pot just allowed you to garner new information on the person who forbet mm -hmm. and, and gain more... Uh, comprehension over what their range is yeah so you you have to look at it through the not lens so if you're confident that like two kings or two queens were folded mm -hmm. by that player then what you know for sure is this four better does not likely have kings or queens right right and you have ace king so it's even further reduced mm -hmm. now that those cards go back into the deck that just means they're more probable to appear after the flop right which may seem good to ace king but if you're looking at a range that does not have a high concentration to kings or queens, it probably has a high concentration to aces. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it makes it better or worse for your range. All I'm saying is it, it has to change your equity. Removing two cards from the deck versus not removing from them from the deck. It has to change your equity, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I guess it changes your equity in the sense that if you had 
If you had a high degree, if the, if he folded face up two kings, yeah, this is this is kind of like the extreme version of it. If it's right. face up, so if he folded two kings face up and they weren't going back in the deck, and, you and then the other guy exposes his hands and he has queens, right? Yeah, right. Then, now, now, now he has queens and you're sitting there with ace king. Yeah, now you're gonna fold two, more often, right? But if the cards are going back in the deck, you're gonna call more often, right? But but think about it. It's unfair for kings to have been folded face up. Right, so it's it's just like if if there was unknown information as it's supposed to be because right. the cards are down. Right, but we're saying you well, in, fold. This, in this exact scenario, you're you have a high degree of confidence that those are two kings. Right, and what I'm saying is like that's never important because that high degree of confidence is speculation, and right. it's it just is. a byproduct of action that's taken place. So the those cards being put back into the deck just levels things back off as being unknown again. Right? You would never fold ace-king if he exposes queens. Right? So if it's just a guy exposes queens and you have ace-king, you would never fold. If I think... If I, if I no, think, no, no, no. Uh, if a guy okay, exposes yes. queens and you have ace-king, you would never fold. Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> right? So we know that it's a true flip. Right. Now, if we know that two kings are dead because two people accidentally exposed one king each yeah. pre-flop, we're going to fold, right? Right. Is it fair that one that that a king each was exposed? No. Right. Yeah, right. No. Right. 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 So now all we're doing is leveling it back to the normal scenario, the normal equities, the normal the normal strategy. But right. but, but, but if I if those kings are exposed and I'm going to fold, but if I know they're going back in the deck, then I'm going to call. Exactly. Right. And it's supposed to be a call. So nothing nothing strategically changes. You know that the cards are going back in the deck. Even if you had knowledge over the fact that he folded two kings, right? But what, like the, well, the point that I'm—it's <laughs> not unfair to anybody. That I, the point that I'm right. trying to make, and I'm not saying it's unfair. All right. I'm saying yeah, is yeah. it changes equities. Well, the the point that I'm trying to make is that you're. It, let's say someone exposes their cards, the likelihood of them having those two specific cards is a hundred percent. If someone doesn't expose those cards, the confidence that we have in them having those two specific cards is somewhere between zero and less, yeah. between zero and 100%, yeah, yeah. right? The closer we get to 100% confidence that they have those cards, the more, theoretically, that card removal factor influences our equity. If we have 1% confidence, like you say, it absolutely isn't really going to change anything significant. But the closer we get to, the more confident we become about you know, about the, the narrowness or the spe specificity of their range, the more confident we can become about what our true equity actually is. I, agree, I agree with all of that. Sure. What I'm saying is that that's not, uh, that's not a functional part of the game. And by putting the cards back in the deck, it just takes you back to zero, right? So it, it just puts the equities back to what they're supposed to be. It doesn't change them positively for either player. It just reduces... A negative shift that occurred due to information being leaked so the honestly this is something that like i almost think should be implemented live to avoid soft collusion that happens all the time so for instance uh when a board comes 10 10 deuce and a guy stands up and goes god <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter now that he folded yeah. the 10 mm -hmm. because yeah. it's back in the deck 
Right. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that and, happens and that, so much. That, happen, uh, that stuff happens yeah. pre-flop. Well, all the, a little bit because you know the other player. But that stuff happens happen. all the time live. Yes, of course. Where it goes sure. like raise three bet, yep. four bet, and a yep. guy's staring at two jacks, and he's just like, fuck. Imagine the <laughs> casino dealer. Right. No, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that it actually should, but right. the point I'm trying to resonate here is that the equities don't shift in a, a favorable way for any one person. It just resets back to neutral. Yeah, I guess... I guess what I'm saying is that the idea of neutral is still not truly neutral because even if you look in a solve, ranges will still be weighted slightly in one direction or another. You're saying because saying. we know those cards are back in the deck? I'm saying because, because players' strategies, yeah, when, when cards are not going to be put back in the deck, there's an inherent slight weighting one way or another. Right, but I'm saying that that's strategies. negative. I'm saying that's a negative for someone. So, for instance, uh, if, if, if something like that happens where it's raise three bet, four bet, and we just know that a guy has ace king, and now one of the players has ace king and folds, mm-hmm. that's unfair to the person who had kings or aces or whatever that should have stacked him. By those cards going back in the deck, now that person doesn't consider that piece of information any longer and just runs the equities true. And that becomes more level and fair to everybody. I mean, I... Th- I th- I see, I see the direction from which you're, you're saying that, but I, I guess what I'm saying is that hard weighting or range weighting in one direction or another is part of equilibrium, mm. and removing that slightly alters the equilibrium. And I don't think that's unfair or fair. I don't think that's unfair to anybody. Mm. I'm just saying that the, the equilibrium with cards being put back in the deck looks very slightly different to what it does without that. That's all I'm saying. I mean, from what I've taken from both sides, like I think the pros outweighs the cons. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I, I, I think we all agree that. I completely too, agree. Like even like what, what what Hunt is saying is that, yeah, if it shifts it like sli- ever so slightly, it like the the amount of benefit you get from it also not being colluded on and, and having massive uh, shifts in equity. Well, you're still being like, well, you're still being still, colluded on. Yeah. Right. And it it's also just a only matter sh- of what you know. Hunt's point's only valid if if the preflop cards are known. If they remain mm-hmm. unknown, then it definitely doesn't shift any equities. Man, right? my only, I don't know. My only issue well, when you're talking I mean, when you're looking at a sim, you, no, you, because doesn't the sim assume that you folded exactly, a certain exactly? You, the this, sim this, assume, is, this is the bunching effect. Yeah, the, yeah, the bunching like the sim assumes you folded this set, Bro subset of, of the bunching effect so quick you saw that wait what Matt goes bunching effect and Brad goes oh yeah bunching this is, effect this is, <laughs> yeah. this is, exactly. he's got me right yeah. there this is, this is what I mean that, um, right. even, even in a sim ranges are weighted in a certain way that the preflop cards are not completely unknown that's what I'm saying I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, you're not necessarily solving the root problem, but you're trying to remove the weed. And, like, removing the weed is, like, fine sometimes, but at the same time, like, still finding ways to get the root cause is going to be the most important part. Right. Sorry, uh, I I don't want to be pedantic about this, but the reason why that's not true, the bunching effect, is because those cards, whether they're put back into the deck or not... Uh, we're still always an unknown portion of the deck. So, like, I understand what you're saying. Like, uh, when two ranges are pitted against one another, they are devoid of all these other hands, mm-hmm. and therefore all those other hands are assumed to be in the deck. But that's that's not truly the way that it works because all of the hands that are in our range cannot actually be in our hand. We can only possess one at a time. So it's the Sims do still assume a full deck. Always. I mean, if you're talking a post-flop sim, yeah. 
because a post-flop Right, same but we already agreed that pre-flop doesn't matter because the bunching effect is, is still an effect in, in pre-flop. Those folded cards have nothing to do with the hands that are already distributed. Yeah. Okay. Right? So now when we go to a post-flop sim, the entire deck is still complete. It's a 52-card deck. Is it, though? Yes. It has to be. Prior to, prior to any action taking place, yes. Right. But, like, 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 the sim doesn't, like, take into account that, like, what you should do post-flop if it, if, if, if it assumes, uh, uh, you know, the first six people folded, assuming that now certain cards are... Removed. A, a post-flop sim possibly removed a post-flop sim that you run for a single board mm -hmm. doesn't take into account the pre-flop bunching effect okay i think that's what you're that's saying, what you're correct. saying. it yeah, can't, it yeah. can't right. because we don't hold a single okay. hand but we hold a range right what I, what I was originally saying to begin with is that there is still a post-flop bunching effect in multi-way spots okay in that if there's three players to a flop the action that the first player takes followed by a second player followed by a third player as the more actions are taken, the more the remaining deck from the cards or from the distribution of cards that got to the flop, minus the flop, the remaining deck is still weighted one way or another based on the actions of the players who have acted up to that point. So it's a different kind of a bunching effect because it's not taking place throughout the whole deck. It's taking place throughout the three ranges that get to the flop, but it still does theoretically exist. I'm not saying it's a big factor, yeah. but it does... that. Theoretically, there should be some small influence uh, simply just based on you know, the, the weighting of ranges in, in multi-way spots. Wait, would you say Speaking that... Of weeds, we're in the weeds now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weeds, weeds, weeds. Uh, I'm not... Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really want to debate this point because I'm not all that convinced, but would you... like uh, Assuming that we, we agree that that does exist, mm -hmm. do you think it's big enough to even weigh into your strategy? Yeah, I do. I think that you should take into account but like particularly when it's like bet rate like it goes bet call and you are trying to figure out your raising strategy or like this is this is why um multi-way sims in a, in certain instances or certain lines it's why they'll prioritize having bluffs that block sets so they'll bluff with bottom pair instead of bluffing with like a backdoor because bluffing with bottom pair is going to be better than bluffing with a backdoor because if it goes bet call then the backdoors are disproportionately going to be some of the hands that the caller is going to then fold to the raise and so on and so forth so the the reason why multi-way sims will choose certain bluff combos differently is partly because of the the bunching effect that occurs when there's three or more ranges. is that is that bunching though or is it blocking value and unblocking folds well the bunching effect is just another word for a blocking factor you know it's uh i'm what i'm hearing or what i was hearing was basically saying our strategy should change because the deck will have more or have less of these certain types of cards mm -hmm. which is i that part i disagree with well the like the notion that you shouldn't raise a backdoor there because you're likely up against a backdoor more frequently i think that's just like too unknown and and too specific well, within a sim, it, it can't be because everything's known. That's what, that's what I mean. The frequencies within the sim are, are all known. Yeah, so, okay. So, like, the, the, the percentage of the time that there is a backdoor there is going to impact your potential realization or equity or whatever. Right, yeah. Right. But, I, yeah, I get. sorry, let me rephrase. I guess what I was getting at is that that is all defaulted to the strategy and not something we need to think about. 
we don't need to think about the fact that like because it went bet call uh i should be less inclined to check raise a backdoor here because i could be uh i i could be two fewer outs remaining in the deck some frequency right like we'll just yeah derive uh our frequencies from the sims based off of their true ev and equities yeah yeah um i'm not i'm not saying that we're like i i guess what i'm saying is it's 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 all considered at the same time right right like the the quality of a, a bluffing candidate with a backdoor in a multi-way spot is a product of the actual equity that you have against mm. the two ranges plus your combined fold equity and, and all of these other things fold equity on future streets all that stuff and the extent to which like if you get one if you get if you raise and you get one call and one fold the extent to which certain cards are likely to have been folded is factored is already pre-factored into what choices we make regarding what hands we're going to raise yeah yeah but yeah. if we if we were able to run a sim where in that specific instance the folded cards were going to go back in the deck i think it would probably have a bigger impact on strategy than some most people would think but i also don't think it's a big enough impact for it to not be worth doing this yeah so i guess like that's the crux of our disagreement is i'm of the impression that uh once we get to the turn in this sim that you're speaking mm -hmm. of it's still a 45 card deck or 46 card deck or you know whatever whatever else is unknown so i that's something i'm actually not sure about in terms of which solvers would take into account that and which wouldn't yeah it, like it, like i'm of the impression that like say we choose to check raise hand class x we don't suddenly land on the turn with a, a weighted disproportion to clubs like i i wouldn't think that uh the eight of clubs would come less frequently yeah see that that i think you're right about because i don't think most solvers account for that i don't think they account for a slightly higher likelihood of certain types of cards to come or not right but they do account for and that was the only point i was trying to get across right, okay. for the for the putting cards back in sure. the deck yeah okay so yeah, it doesn't change the frequency of what cards are going to come, but it does change whether or not we, like, it, it does change whatever, anything that, that relates to our understanding of our opponent's ranges, basically. Yeah, 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 for, for sure. And again, that's the downfall of this. Right. Is not necessarily the, the cards getting put back in the deck, but we're only able to reduce the collusion to the point of having vision over the deck. Mm -hmm. They'll still have vision over the range construction. So the right. contortion of your opposition's range will yeah. still be impacted when they we know, know those cards are not in your opponent's hands. Right. Still. Right. Rather than removal, yeah. which is what's happening now, where people are able to eliminate the size of the deck based off of known cards that were folded. Mm -hmm. Now, instead uh, of removal uh, from the deck, it's actually uh, a more, your range. It's a morphing of your opponent's range. Right. Mm -hmm. We know that we, we basically get to like heavily weight their range in certain directions right. mm -hmm. based off of known cards that are actually in the deck. Right. Yeah. right. So now it's known cards in the deck as opposed to removed cards from the deck. Mm -hmm. And the only argument I'm trying to make is that's a significant step forward in uh, the reducing the effectiveness of the collusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. it's also why this is not the, the end-all, be-all type of solution to collusion. Right. Because there's still some upside in being able to weight your opponent's range in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah I, think we, I think we were always saying the same thing. We were just kind of yeah, framing I'm, it differently. I'm, I'm coming at it from a perspective of 
if we were able to plug into a solver the fact that the cards were going to go back into the deck, how would it change things? Right, and, and I think the way that yeah. we could actually do that, it would be waiting our opponent's range certain ways. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if they're supposed to have 100% aces, but we have some sort of knowledge of cards that went back into the deck, mm -hmm. maybe their combinations of aces right. get reduced in half. Right. Mm -hmm. exactly. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to bring this up because I think, I think it's an interesting topic of conversation in the sense that it's an out of the box solution and we should be looking for more of those, even if they do come with a little bit of ruffling of the feathers, uh, when it comes to quote unquote, the, the every man, the recreational, the casual players. Um, I get it. You don't want to change their environment. You don't want to change the rule set that they're accustomed to playing under, but you do want to get to a point where online isn't necessarily dying, mm. right? And I do worry that like we're, we're moving closer and closer to that because w when you zoom way out and you look at how online is being cheated, it's all through data, mm -hmm. all of it. RTA, collusion, uh, data mining, like every single bit of it is gathering known information in a game that's supposed to be uh, fully protected with no known information outside of your two whole cards and the, and the board texture, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the only solutions will be creative ways to either de-weaponize that data or uh, render it useless. And the only way to do that will be to structurally change something about right. the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether that's putting muck cards back in the deck or it's throwing certain monkey wrenches into uh, the, the mechanics of the game. It plays counterclockwise once every random number of hands. I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily know. I, I, don't, I don't have the ideas per se, but I don't think we should be so closed off to these new innovative solutions because they are, they're addressing problems that are obvious to anybody who cares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely am a big believer in creating these these weird wrinkles in the game that um that make it harder to solve I'm, hopefully I'm it's not through the cheating lens. yeah I, i'm uh <laughs> i'm looking forward to this is another segue into uh we're we're filming poker out loud this this coming week yep i'm looking forward to we're gonna, we're gonna play looking some forward seven, to card sharing seven deuce bounty <laughs> some seven deuce bounty some stand-up oh, wow. game right stand-up game like bounty bomb pots we're gonna do a bit of an homage to the original idea of poker out loud is it gonna which be is, the sit down stand-up game yes yeah um i i know i can i can hear pigtails in my head right now like, like can't don't, everybody don't up? actually stand like, up yeah, yeah we have course. these cameras set but the idea is to make this uh as reflective of a live environment as possible and force everybody to do as much brain solving and play as as much street poker as uh imaginable um and i think that these little wrinkles are great ways to take people out of their comfort zone i also think like increasing stack depth um which will generally increase SPR across all nodes is another good way to uh, force people into making critical decisions in real time. Can we do like a massive anti as well? Just like, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I mean, we were definitely gonna do at least a big blind anti. I'm mm -hmm. kind of into the idea of playing with uh, larger antis. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing this more live where uh, rather than putting a straddle on, we'll just double the anti or triple the anti. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, we should definitely do that. Yeah, I, I think that these are all good wrinkles that basically force wider ranges to play. And that's really always what people are looking for when they're trying to drive action 
is to force you to play an uncomfortable portion of your range that you could otherwise just comfortably fold. I'm gonna I gotta spend this weekend running some big antis. <laughs> Here we go. There's always one in the game. Yeah. And it's one. not me anymore. It's if you're, you if you're gonna get look, anymore. if you're gonna get a tournament player to That's sit down true. in a super deep stack cash game against a bunch of guys who, who are, are really definitely good. better at cash <laughs> games than him, you gotta at least allow me to run some yeah, sims. We'll, yeah, we'll spot we'll spot oh, you pre flop. Man, <laughs> there's there's a conversation here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it. Okay, I can do this. That's good. Because like I think that my cash game in terms not the whole conversation but like i think that my poker game overall has improved so much from playing both yeah oh yeah you know i think that's I mean? always yeah. true so it's like if you get better at tournaments you're gonna get better at cash if you get better at cash you're gonna get better at tournaments if you've played the format not yeah. just instantly jumping into the new one i just think about if you're thinking about it correctly yeah like, that's that's the trick if you're thinking about like what you learn in tournaments to like say when you're shorter or something like yeah. if you just apply it when or think about how it affects you when you're playing cash. I think like, MTTs are a really great way to f to to find betting lines for low SPR spots. Oh yeah. Like I think I think too many live players fuck up low SPR four bet pot spots mm -hmm. where like SPR is one and they turn it into a one street game and they're just all in. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like MTTs where they'll play the same spot where maybe it's only a single race pot or a three bet pot but they find three streets of betting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think being able to find those creative betting lines are really, really, really valuable and powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think the inverse is true of cash, like playing really deep SPR spots where ranges are both wide and narrow can force you into learning a lot of like geo sizing and, you know, ways to creatively get the money in by the river that tournaments don't necessarily lend themselves to. Yeah, for sure. I think in MTTs, there's, there's so much of a tendency to like, you get down to a certain stack. Like people get down below 25 bigs and they just like don't bluff post. Yeah. They just like they want to just make a good hand and just jam mm -hmm. all in on the turn and hope they get a fold. And, um, and there's so much opportunity to, to play multiple streets of poker, even right. like way below what stack sizes people think. Yeah. That, that's been put on display in these high rollers for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's funny. One of the guys that was in one of those high rollers, Johannes Strava, I played a hand against him six and a half big blinds deep or five and a half big blinds deep at venetian this summer where i limped the small blind and bet bet jammed there you go yeah i uh i went one big blind one big blind 2.5 big blinds all in on the river and he called me down with like an eight on ace jack eight ace five or something and was good and i was like oh well i've never bluffed six high for three streets with five bigs effective before and uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do in tournaments when you when you're thinking outside the box a little bit. And it was, uh, it, it's I think it's going to be a big area that expands in tournament strategy once people realize like you don't have to play push fold at 15 bigs. Like, I hope it comes full circle where it's like that that meme of like the low IQ, high IQ, mid IQ. Oh, that's totally going to be what it is. Where it's, it's like low IQ all in. Uh, mid IQ, like find ways to bet three streets yeah. and then high IQ all in. 100, 100, <laughs> I mean, 100%. Probably will do that. Like, I mean, like, I'm just waiting uh, it out for yeah. to get past the mid section yeah. because I can't do it, man. Espen, uh, Espen against Chidwick in that three handed spot, he found the uh, he found the the 12 big blind non all in three bet from the big blind with aces against the button open. Like, mm -hmm. Chidwick opens min on the button and Espen just makes it like 4.2 big blinds from the big and Chidwick jams with ace king and Espen just, you know, holds obviously with aces. But uh, yeah, that's the way it's going, man. People are, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding a, a three bet fold off of like nine bigs. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, you're I'm gonna a, you're a fucking tortured soul, man. <laughs> it sounds like a tortoise to me. I, 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 that's I cannot, a tortoise soul. I cannot wait to, to take like 
ace deuce off and three bet fold it off. Oh nine my bets. god, on that note, I'm so happy you turned on the music for that one. My god, <laughs> yeah, that sounds pain. painful. <laughs> that is pain. Um, it does sound kind of fun. Quick reminder wow. there is an academy September 1st. We do still have a couple seats available. I do believe we're going to do a giveaway uh, probably sometime next week. We have a bunch of. We have a bunch of giveaways in the in the holster that we got coming up. We're giving uh, it all away, huh? Yeah, I think we're gonna give away an academy seat. Uh, we have a WPT uh, cruise. Ooh, that we'll, we'll be doing a giveaway for at some point. Are um, we going on that cruise? I'm not sure. Probably not. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I'll though. find a way on there. Landon might find his way there. Are we allowed <laughs> to enter the giveaway? No, <laughs> that's bullshit. We're not allowed to go on the cruise or into the. Oh, giveaway. you're allowed to go on the cruise. I'm oh, just, we just we're I'm not just not going. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. So be sure to stay tuned. If you guys are interested in the academy, head to academy.solverwide.io. Be sure to sign up today. Uh, I believe there's only a couple seats left. On that note, we're out of here. We'll be back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Pacific, as I have a day date in the Bellagio. Uh, that's gonna do it date. for us. Not yeah, not a real date. You're actually just you're just playing don't, poker. Don't do that when you don't want us to talk yeah, about it. It's true. It's true. You self-report, mm-hmm. and then when I bring it up, you give me the laser eyes. Now the music, no, but the music is cueing us off. We'll be we'll be back tomorrow, six p.m. Don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, smash that button. We'll see you then. Later, Peace. Squad. Bow, bow, Peace. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs>